What is truth? Well, that's a great question heading into the uh, presidential election. How can normal Americans weed through all the claims of the candidates? I don't even know how that's possible. With all of the statistics and the mudslinging, it's hard to know what the truth is. And politics in general are chock full of lies. Kennedy in the Bay of Pigs, Nixon and Watergate, Clinton and Lewinsky, Clinton and Benghazi, Trump and much of what he says. So how can we determine what is true and what to believe? Scientific research is so heavily steeped in evolutionary theory that it's hard to weed through the agenda to the scientific truth. Just visit almost any science museum in America and you'll see that there is one unified worldview. Thousands of Christian books are published every year and when Joel Osteen and Todd Burpo and Joyce Meyer are all best-selling authors, we wonder if professing Christians know what truth is. Back in January, I emailed you an article titled The Scandal of Biblical Illiteracy written by Al Mohler. And Mohler, uh, he reported that 82% of Americans believe that this phrase, God helps those who help themselves, they believe that that's a Bible verse. Shockingly, 81% of self-identified born-again Christians believe the same thing. What is truth? Many professing Christians are confused about that. Many can't provide a good answer. The predominant philosophy in America is relativism. Relativism. And relativism has greatly influenced the church. Relativism says that you determine what is true. And that there is only one real absolute truth. That there is no absolute truth which is self-defeating and illogical. Another predominant uh, philosophy is religious pluralism, which says contradicting religious worldviews are equally valid, and there are multiple ways to God, and there is no right religion. The problem is relativism and religious pluralism are illogical. American philosopher and author Mortimer Adler commented on pluralism, which rejects absolutes. This is what Adler wrote. In the sphere of all matters subject to individual thought and decision, pluralism is desirable and tolerable only in those areas that are matters of taste rather than matters of truth. Preferences with regard to cuisine, dress, patterns of dance, social manners, artistic styles do not raise any questions of truth. But with regard to matters that belong in the sphere of intellect, matters involving truth, not taste, a persistent pluralism is intolerable. You see, what we want to be true has no bearing on what actually is true. My son Jeremiah, a budding philosopher and theologian, said something profound this week that is really worth thinking about it, and I'm serious about this. He said, what is true is true, not whatever you think is true is true. What is true is true, not whatever you think is true is true. Jeremiah is right. Truth is what actually is, no matter what anyone thinks. What is 
truth? This is a most relevant question. And I hope that all of us would say that we want to build our lives upon the truth and not live in in some delusional world of lies. We want the truth. Life is not Disney World. All right, gotquestions.org had a helpful article for understanding what truth is not. And so I put some things from that article in here. Truth is not simply whatever works. Sometimes lies appear to work, but they are still lies, right? Truth is not simply what is coherent or understandable. Some conspiracy theories are coherent and they're understandable. They're just simply not true. Truth is not what makes people feel good. Bad news is often true. Truth is not what the majority says is true. 51% of the people are often wrong. Truth is not what is comprehensive. A lengthy and a detailed presentation can result in a a, um, false conclusion from, from the data. Truth is not defined by what is intended. Though some people may have good intentions, they may still be completely wrong. Truth is not how we know Truth is what we know. Truth is not simply what is believed. A lie is believed, and it's still a lie. And truth is not what is publicly proved. A truth can be privately known, and if you think about hidden treasure or a map that leads to hidden treasure, that can be private. What then is truth? What is truth? The Apostle John is going to answer that question for us in his narrative. John recorded what Jesus had to say about truth. And I think we should listen to what Jesus said and consider it closely. John wrote this book to help his readers discern the truth and to help them believe the truth and to help them live by the truth. And I think if you spend time reading John carefully, that you're going to find that he is not gullible. He's not insane. He's not misinformed. He is most reasonable in his writing. He wrote what corresponded to reality, what corresponds to reality, what he heard, what he saw, what he experienced. And it resonates with us. It resonates with our experience, if you're being honest. John 18 is filled with deceit. It's filled with corruption. It shows us what happens when people care more about themselves than what they care about absolute truth. Snubbing absolute truth makes you irrational. Snubbing absolute truth makes you irrational. Throughout his book, John does a masterful job showing how irrational the Jewish leaders were. Their hatred for Jesus drove them to absurdity. Listen to this, verse 28. Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled but could eat the Passover. All right. To execute Jesus, they needed Pilate's endorsement. So early in the morning, probably around 6 o'clock or so, when Pilate was conducting his business, they took Jesus to Pilate's Praetorion, or headquarters, which was likely either the Antonia Fortress, which was a Roman military uh, barracks on the northwestern corner attached to the temple, or it could have been Herod's palace by the western wall of Jerusalem. Notice the Jews didn't enter Pilate's Praetorion. 
I read that Jewish oral law gives evidence that Jews who deliver or who entered the dwelling places of Gentiles became ceremonially unclean. So understand what was happening. They wanted to celebrate the Passover festival, which God had ordained many, many years before in the Old Testament, yet they also wanted to kill God's son. These things do not go together. Scholar Dr. William Hendrickson noted, quote, they apparently regarded ceremonial defilement to be much more serious matter than moral defilement. It's a good point. They were like armed robbers in a police chase, carefully going the speed limit so that they don't get a speeding ticket. I mean, this is out of control. This does not make sense. In snubbing the truth, they became irrational. Their focus should have been on the meaning and the joy of this Passover feast and how the Passover pointed to the Christ. And here they're consumed with plotting how to kill the Christ. Hardly a way to celebrate God's Passover. Dangerous things happen when people turn a blind eye to truth. This has been proven over and over again throughout history. Verse 29, Pilate went out to them because he understood this whole uh, defilement concern in the Jews. And so he said, what accusation do you bring against this man? And back and forth there, you'll see as in the coming weeks, it's just this ridiculous spectacle Pontius Pilate was a Roman governor that was appointed uh, by the emperor Tiberius in AD 26. He governed for 10 years. Pilate was in Jerusalem in order to keep order around the Passover time. You had tons of Jews flooding into the city, so uh, some things could have gotten out of line. So Pilate was there to to watch over this Passover festival. Historians understand Pilate to have been a morally weak and vacillating man who used stubbornness and brutality to hide his faults. The Jews didn't like Pilate. Pilate wanted to know why they thought Jesus was guilty. Listen to their answer, verse 30. If this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Did that answer his question? Did that provide any concrete evidence against Jesus? No, they didn't have a convincing case. They didn't have corroborating witnesses. Hearing no compelling evidence against Jesus, Pilate responded like this. Verse 31, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. Pilate wanted to bump it down to a lower court. He didn't want to get involved with this. You guys deal with it. I don't want to get mixed up in this. And then the Jewish Jewish religious leaders All right, then they made it clear. They came out with it. It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. There it was. They had come to Pilate because they wanted Jesus to be executed. That's why they were were going to him. Capital jurisdiction was removed from Jewish oversight in AD 6, so Pilate held the authority to issue the death warrant. But you see, there's a problem with this because blasphemy, which was what the accusation was, was not a a breach of Roman law. The Jewish leaders needed then to get creative, and you'll see in the Gospels that their angle became not blasphemy, but treason against Rome. They pressured Pilate to see Jesus as a threat to Rome. They were two-faced, and we learned from the other Gospels that it was envy that drove them. Envy that really drove them to hypocrisy. 
All throughout this persecution, the goal for the Jews and for the Romans was not objective reality. It was not objective truth. The goal was self-interest. The goal was self-preservation. So let me ask a question. Are we at liberty to change truth for our own interests? My friends, God is the source of absolute truth. God is the source of absolute truth. Truth is sent out from God like light is sent out from the sun. Truth is intrinsic to God, and history unfolds according to the truthful purpose of God. And here's what I mean. The Jews went to Pilate seeking the death penalty, excuse me, for Jesus, because verse 32, this was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. In that statement, can you see the sovereign plan of God, the sovereign will of God unfolding? God had decreed the crucifixion of his son, and Jesus prophesied according to God's decree. Now, if you read Psalm 22, it's about Jesus, and verse 16 says, they have pierced my hands and feet. Isaiah 53 is about Jesus, and verse 5 says, but he was pierced for our transgressions. So the political details of John 8 are working to fulfill ancient prophecies written many years before Jesus. Jesus simply spoke what his father had decreed. In Matthew 20, verses 18 and 19, Jesus said this to the 12, see, we are going up to Jerusalem. And the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified, and he will be raised on the third day. He said that before it happened. This plan originated with God. God was working through politics. God was working through sinful and impenitent hearts to bring about his sovereign purpose of redemption for his people through the death of his Son. As sinful as Jesus' adversaries all were, they acted according to the sovereign purpose of God. If you want to check that out further, check out Ephesians 1, verse 11, or Acts 4, 27 and 28, which support this. God is the source of absolute truth. As you study John 18, you should be able to see that God is in control here. Jesus accepted God's plan for him. He didn't fight God's God's design, he embraced it, he lived it, and he laid his life down for us to fulfill God's purposes. Pilate was not ready to listen to the voice of absolute truth. Truth was, think about this, truth was standing before him, speaking directly to him, but Pilate couldn't hear because he was preoccupied with himself. A lust for power drowns out the sound of absolute truth. A lust for power drowns out the sound of absolute truth. Joseph Stalin was the most powerful man in the Soviet Union. He killed millions of his own people. And Stalin said this, I believe in one thing only, the power of human will. The power of human will. For Stalin, absolute truth was the power of human will, and he was involved in the slaughtering of millions of people. 
Now, was Pilate so different? Pilate was brutal. Pilate had power. This is likely why Pilate takes such an interest in the source of Jesus' power and his authority and his kingdom. And so, verse 33, so Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, are you king of the Jews? But I think Pilate said it more like this. You are king of the Jews? It was more like a statement question. You are king of the Jews? Rome had power. Who does this man think that he was? And Pilate wanted to know whether Jesus was a threat to him and ultimately was a threat to Rome. But more was going on. Jesus answered Pilate, do you say this of your own accord or did others say it to you about me? So now Jesus is making Pilate think. In fact, Jesus turned the matter on Pilate. Where did the king idea come from? Who is really asking? Was Pilate interested in whether Jesus was a true king? Was Pilate suspicious of Jesus or did people put him up to it? The Jews were obviously stirring things up, trying to pit Jesus against Rome. And so Pilate retorted, am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Pilate was sarcastic. You got to hear a little sarcasm. Am I a Jew? That was derogatory. Are you somehow relevant to me? I'm a Roman governor dealing with you simply because your own people turned you over to me. That's why you're here. Well, how could Jesus be king of the Jews if the Jews and the chief priests turn him over to be executed? Hardly the fate of, of a king. What had Jesus really done to provoke such animosity from his own people? And at this point, no compelling evidence was, was given. No case was built that was airtight against Jesus. There was no case. So after that, Jesus was ready to answer Pilate's first question. Verse 36, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting and I might not have been delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. The reign, rule, and realm of Jesus transcend this world. Jesus didn't spend his time recruiting and training soldiers. All right? Military armament, mobilization, and deployment were not the objectives of Jesus Christ. Jesus went peacefully. Now, Peter whips out a sword and tried to kill Malchus, but right away, Jesus shut that kind of activity down. You got to put it back in the sheath, man. We're not here to take lives. Other than that, his capture was with very little fanfare. Where was his army? In John 6, if you remember this, Jesus withdrew from the crowd, which was about ready to forcefully make him king. Jesus was not there just trying to grab all of this political power to amass something that would rival Rome. His kingdom was otherworldly. Jesus' reign and rule and realm are supreme. They're universal. Every square inch of the universe is beneath his government. All creation is beneath his sovereignty. Jesus holds complete supremacy over all things. Yes, Pilate had power. Yes, Rome had power. Yes, the Jews had power. Yes, Satan has power. But only limited power and only for a limited time. In the end, Jesus holds absolute supremacy over all things. As Daniel prophesied 
And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Isaiah prophesied, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. Standing before Pilate was the superpower of the universe. A man who held supreme power. Yet Pilate couldn't see it. Pilate couldn't see it. The voice of absolute truth spoke to Pilate with absolute certainty, with absolute authority, yet Pilate could not hear it. Pilate's own lust for power drowned out the voice of absolute truth. Please understand this. Absolute truth has already spoken, and it still speaks. Truth has spoken. And it still continues to speak. Verse 37 continues. Then Pilate said to him, so you are a king. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Jesus never said I am a king. Pilate was pushing for that, but he never said it in those words. But three times Jesus did say my kingdom. My kingdom. What Jesus said to Pilate is profound. Please don't miss it. First, Jesus said his kingdom was not from this world. It was not of this world. His servants weren't fighting. And maybe that was a relief to Pilate. I'm not going to really have a, a problem here in Jerusalem. Second, Jesus said he was born and he came into the world. Now, any one of us can say that and it makes sense. I was born and I came into the world. But for Jesus, it has different meaning. There's more to it. He is the son of God and had no beginning. He came into the world from out of this world. His origin was of old, from ancient days. Jesus is the son of God in the flesh who condescended from heaven to earth. Now, why did the son of God come to earth? Jesus came from heaven to earth to bear witness to the truth. To bear witness to the truth, the Son of God came to bring absolute truth down to us so that we could know absolute truth. He is the sovereign king of truth, and his kingdom is a kingdom of absolute truth. His reign, rule, and realm are truth. His weapon is truth. The truth of God. Jesus stands, when you read this, in such stark contrast everyone else in the narrative. Everybody else is lying through their teeth. Jesus is there telling the truth. Even Peter was lying. Jesus spoke truth. He came to speak, and he came to make sure that people heard the truth of God. John 1.14 says, The Word became flesh and lived among us and was full of grace and truth. John 1.17 says, Grace and truth. Truth came through Jesus Christ. Jesus left no room for debate, no room for equivocation. I am the way, the truth, and the life. The voice of absolute truth is the voice of Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus confidently asserted, everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. 
Now, those who listen to the voice of absolute truth are those who are of the truth. Listeners are of the truth. Those who have been born of God, those who have been born of the Spirit, those who are of the truth. Those who have been transformed by God's grace and truth. We must realize that the reason people don't believe in Jesus is not the lack of evidence. It's not the lack of evidence. Archaeology, theology, philosophy, anthropology, it's not, the, the evidence is there for Jesus Christ. It's not that science disproves him. It's not that these people have questions that Jesus can't sufficiently answer. People don't listen to the voice of absolute truth because they are not of God. They're not of the truth. According to Jesus in John 8, 45, it was precisely because he told them the truth that they didn't believe him. Let that work in your mind for a while. He said in verse 47, whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. People can't hear because they're not of God. And the people who do hear are of the truth, of God, of the spirit of truth. Jesus said that his sheep hear his voice. Those are people of the truth. The truth of Jesus Christ is the one truth that cannot be embraced by reason or logic or evidence or intellect alone. Alone. Reason and logic and evidence and intellect must be accompanied by the spirit of truth that works faith in people. The gospel is objective reality. It is what is. What is true is true. Objective reality of the gospel. It is reasonable, but it cannot be received apart from God's sovereign grace in someone's life. Absolute truth is spoken in Jesus Christ, precious truth. Absolute truth continues to speak through the Bible. We hear the word of God. We hear the word of Jesus when we hear the 66 books of the Old and the New Testament. God still speaks through his written word. Here's the test of whether you are a person that is of the truth. Here's the test. It's a simple test. You're a person of the truth if you listen to the voice of Jesus which comes to you through the scripture. You're a person of the truth if you listen to the voice of Jesus which comes to you through sacred scripture. You are a person of the truth when God's word abides in you, when God's word lives in you. You are a person of the truth when absolute truth transforms you from the inside out. Now, with all that is going on in our world, all that is going on in our country, with all of the challenges and the struggles of our lives, with all of the challenges and struggles in our families and in our friend groups and in our workplaces, with all of the, the decisions that you face every week, every day to make good decisions based on truth, you know, that's hard with all this going on. We got to know the truth. We just won't survive without the truth. We must know what is true. How can we know? Do you know absolute truth? Do you know it? 
Is your life built upon reality? Are you living in reality of what actually is? You see, every, every person here, every person out there is informed by some source, some authority that they believe is true. And it informs their life. It, 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 it may be true or it might be what they want to be true, but there is a source that informs everyone. Is the source that informs you the absolute truth of Jesus Christ communicated in the Bible? If not, you simply need to understand that you are not of the truth. You're not of the truth. Do you believe the Bible? And hopefully, Jerusalem Church with a unified voice says, yes, we believe the Bible. We actually do. This archaic book written over all the time, we actually believe this. Everything in it. Hopefully, you say that, and that is great. But my next question is, do you know what's actually in the Bible? If you say you believe it, you should also know what claims it is making. Do you know what's in the Bible? Do you know what Jesus believed? And what Jesus actually taught, do you know the voice of absolute truth so well that you can communicate it to someone else? Because then you know you really know it, if you can communicate it. Now, I'm not saying with eloquence and all the great fanciful language. That's not what I'm saying. It can be just like, Bleh. but But if, if the, the meat of it is there, you should be able to communicate it. Some of you have been Christians longer than I've been alive. Can you articulate biblical truth? See, we muddy the waters with this. We, we start saying things like, I can't believe half of what's in the Bible. I, I, I can't understand the Bible. That's what I meant to say. I can't understand the Bible. And it's too complicated for me. Or I, I just get so, I, I don't know what it's saying. I read it and I just, I have no idea what it means. Well, absolutely, there are sections of Scripture that all of us look at and we're scratching our heads like, I'm not exactly sure what God is saying there. Uh, can you help me out with this? Because we, I want to believe it. I just don't, I don't know what it's saying. Okay, there are difficult parts. But the unifying theme of Scripture is abundantly clear. And if you don't understand the unifying theme, that absolute truth, and if you're not striving to understand it more, then one of two things is probably true of you. You either don't have the Holy Spirit inside of you to help you interpret it. You're in the dark because God has not opened up your heart to understand it, and you're not saved yet. You have yet to really comprehend the meat of the gospel. It's either that, or perhaps it's you really haven't spent much time in the Scripture to understand it. You're saved. You're, you're just an ignorant Christian. You're, you're like, no, I believe in the gospel, but I just haven't spent a whole lot of time researching what it says, and I just don't know all that. I think one of those two is probably true. Every Christian can understand the Bible, the voice of absolute truth. Every Christian can understand it. Okay? Even, even the hard parts, we can at least work on it and, and get a sense of what God is saying. But every Christian can understand the voice of absolute truth. Every Christian can grow in their knowledge of the Word and therein their knowledge of God. You don't need a degree. You need the Holy Spirit and a good church. 
to help you through. We listen to the voice of absolute truth when the Spirit of God works through the Word of God to lead us to know God through the Son of God. Do you get that? We listen to the voice of absolute truth when the Spirit of God works through the Word of God to lead us to know God through the Son of God. Pilate asked Jesus a question, what is truth? But I don't think Pilate really wanted the answer. He asked with sarcasm. Pilate was agnostic, similar to many people that that are in our culture and even in the church. And I read that many leading Romans had by this time given up all traditional pagan beliefs with respect to the gods. And as to any settled conviction or deeply rooted faith with respect to God or basic realities, it just didn't exist for them. The, the God reference for Rome, just not happening. Pilate had rejected absolute truth. Pilate was like many, many people today. They ask questions, but they really don't want the answers to the questions that they're asking. They don't want the answer. They justify their lifestyle by intellectually muddying the water. Pilate ignored Jesus, and right after he asked what is truth, he went outside to the Jews again, and he said something that's actually chilling when you understand what happened at the end of the story. He said, I find no guilt in him. Then why was he crucified? Jesus was completely innocent. Not the Jews, not Rome, not anyone found any true guilt in Jesus. He was perfectly innocent, yet he suffered capital punishment and the wrath of God. When absolute truth collapses, so does morality, and in this case, justice. Agnosticism opens up the door to savagery. And this is where religious fanaticism that you see in our world and agnosticism that you see in our world, both the rejection of absolute truth, this is where they lead. The crowd preferred that Pilate release a terrorist named Barabbas, who was a murderer and insurrectionist, instead of Jesus, who was the incarnation of truth and kindness and compassion and love. What drives people to that point? How can you be that irrational? We know you reject absolute truth. John's objective in writing John 18 was to give you a compelling reason to listen to the voice of absolute truth. So my plea to you is really simple this morning. Listen to the voice of absolute truth by listening to the voice of Jesus clearly communicated in the scripture. That's my plea, pretty simple. When we listen, we know truth. When we listen, we know God. I'll leave you with this. Years ago, I was in Shaler, Pennsylvania. I was at a friend's house, and uh, there was a United States Army man there, and he had night vision goggles, and so he let me try the night vision goggles which was an awesome experience. I absolutely loved it. But it was dark outside, right? And so I put on these goggles, and it becomes green, if you've ever gotten to try this or know what night vision is about. And so it's green, and all of a sudden, I can see clearly for a long distance. These dark, you know, dark distances become clear, and I can see what's going on. It was a lot of fun. It's the same way with Christ. We live in a dark world, do we not? Can you not see that something's wrong here? And unless we put on the goggles of Jesus Christ, unless we look at the world through the lens of Jesus, through Jesus and the truth, we're not going to be able to make sense of it. We must come to Jesus and have Jesus and look through Jesus so that we can interpret what is going on. Jesus is our clarifying vision. 
He helps us make sense of life. You do, do not try to make it through this dark world by just trusting your own instincts or trusting what you think is true. You must look through Christ. You must listen and hear the voice of absolute truth by opening the pages of the Bible and allowing the spirit of truth to, to lead you into all truth so that we can discern and be people of the truth. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your grace. Thank you for what you have done in our lives. And I pray that you show the truth to us. Help us to be people of the truth. And God, as we take uh, the Lord's Supper together, I pray that we would see in it the truth of the gospel. This is just a visual representation as well as your means of grace to feed us and strengthen us. And so as we come here, help us to truly see the truth, this, this reality of the Lord's Supper that points us to Christ. In his name we pray, amen.